Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Edit Your Life podcast. I'm Christine Coe. And I'm Asha Dornfest, and we're here to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. We share practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. And we believe that baby steps are the key to getting there. So hi, Asha. How are you today? I'm just fine. How are you today? Good. We are, we are talking at a different time of day and week, so everything's feeling different, but still awesome. <laughs> I know. It's true. It's true. I know like the sun is shining through my window. It's feeling it's feeling great right now. Yeah. Yeah. So we are um, doing a, a cool new interview format here. And um, last week I had a chance to interview Dr. Ken Jong, who is a medical doctor turned actor, producer and writer who people may know from well-known movies such as The Hangover, Knocked Up and Role Models. And he's also done plenty of TV, including NBC's Community, and he now has um, an ABC comedy series called Dr. Ken. And I personally find him hilarious in movies, um, but the first time I actually heard him interviewed was on the Death, Sex, and Money podcast, which I love. And I just, um, I found him so interesting. Well, you know, first of all, I just think it's sort of an amazing thing that you did, that, you know, you did a celebrity interview. I mean, how amazing is that? And I think the other thing I just love is that, you know, podcast interviews, there's something about podcast interviews. And I think there's also something about you because you make people feel very comfortable. But it just it just brings out this human personal side of the person being interviewed. You know, I, I just find that it's so different than TV interviews or even radio interviews. I, yeah. Well, why is that? Because I, I feel the same way when I've listened to interviews. I've just I've fallen in love with certain people who I'll see all over the media, but something about, I don't know, it's something about the podcast format or maybe just because you have more time to riff on stuff. I don't know. It's, it's very, very cool. And I, I really appreciated being able to talk to him. It was, it was really fun. Well, I think sometimes I think it might just be that the people doing podcasts are regular people like you and me. <laughs> and, you know, we're coming to this as, as, you know, person to person doing these interviews and, I, I think what was really sort of fun for me is this is actually my first exposure to Ken Jong. I'm not familiar with his work. Wow. And okay. I, didn't I know, know that. Yeah. Because I'm sometimes under a cultural rock. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen I haven't seen um, The Hangover or Knocked Up, which are movies that everybody I know has seen and love. Um, they're sort of still sitting on my queue. But what's so nice for me now is that I feel like I have 
this little personal insight um, into the actor. And so when I see him in these movies, I can recall this conversation. I don't know. That's just, I don't feel sort of special for me. Yeah, that's actually when I went back, that's very cool. And I hope you do go and watch the movies because um, I actually kind of want to go back and watch The Hangover after talking to him and after having re-listened to the Death, Sex and Money um, podcast, because in that interview, he talks about um, sort of some inside jokes that he did sort of in a dedication to his wife in some of those scenes. And now I'm like, oh, I want to go back and see those. Right, Um, right. Yeah, it was really, really cool. I, I also will say that it warrants mentioning that it was really fun to talk to Ken because we're both Koreans, <laughs> we're both doctors, and we are both people who left our doctorly pursuits for creative work. And with that lens in mind, um, I really wanted to talk to him about making leaps. You know, change is so hard. It's so scary. And I, you know, do you have pr- preliminary thoughts about, you know, this before we run the interview? Oh, actually, I do. I, I think the thing that really struck me is that, you know, here you are having this conversation about making the leap in in Ken's case from medicine to acting, which is not something most of us are going to do. I mean, let's be honest. But the fact is that the dynamics, you know, sort of the feelings involved while that change is happening and while that leap is happening, that uncertainty, that letting go of security, you know, and that scary part, but also the the need to sort of trust yourself, not necessarily to succeed, but to at least try something. These are things we all experience mm-hmm. when we make a leap. I mean, if we make a leap, I think there are many that are just, it's, it's a very scary thing. And so it's very easy to avoid and try to sort of keep those out of your life. But um, I don't know, somehow when you see celebrities or you see people that have had some sort of measure of public success, it's really easy to stand back and think, well, I could never be like that, or, or somehow they're different. They're blessed with an easier path. Who knows what, what we sort of project onto those people. But hearing this conversation, it just reminds me that it's just not true. I mean, we all go through the pain of change and the fear, and it's just amazing what can happen when we, you know, when we face that, when we just live with that and do something anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, you know, he has so many humble moments, you know, and he's not, I just, I really appreciate that in him. So let's, yeah, let's go ahead and listen to the interview. Are you like pretty much every parent of younger kids I know looking for a smart entertainment option for your kids? Designed for kids ages six and up, Mysteries About True Histories, also known as Math, How Smart Is That?, is a weekly podcast full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and humor. And while kids will enjoy the stories anchored around characters like troublesome trolls, pirate queens, and mysterious aunts, adults can benefit too. I admittedly delighted in learning a thing or two about Pythagoras and triangles in one episode. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code-breaking, pattern-solving, and more— all weaving humor in with education to make learning fun. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a great length for transition times during the day or a bedtime treat. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) 
Well, you're aiming more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. So I first heard you interviewed on the Death Sex and Money podcast, which I love. And I will say that so many things resonated for me. I mean, I've seen you on on the screen, but that was kind of the first radio interview I'd heard. So we're both Korean, we're both doctors, and we both changed careers. Yeah, yeah, I have a PhD in neuroscience. So I just thought it would be sort of a perfect time to just chat with you a little bit about making leaps. A lot of Edit Your Life listeners are in transition and they're thinking about what's next. So that's just the context for today. But so one one thing just to start us off that made me laugh out loud about that interview was hearing you say that despite your early love of acting and comedy, you were Korean into medicine. So I would love to hear more about your parents' roles and reactions to your, your career jump. I mean, I think it was a, initially, it was a traditional response to me wanting to do acting full time or having an aptitude or desire for acting when I was in college. You know, I think there was reluctance on every side, including mine too, because I, I was also, I I think what's important to keep in mind, I was also unsure as well. If I was truly, I was truly uh, confident and self-assured, you know, there was a world where I could defy my parents' orders and just pursue it anyway, you know? And, and I think that there, there was, there was a reluctance on on all sides because, um, and this is not an Asian thing, but it's just it's an acting thing. I mean, show business is fickle, and 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 it's not a linear. There's not a there's not a ladder per se, or a logical ladder. And so the academic side of me, you know, had a hard time reconciling that. Like here I am, like getting an A in organic chemistry, and you know, knowing that that will help my chances of getting into medical school. It helps. It helps your chances of getting into a to a goal, and then, and, and, and something as nonlinear as acting. And, and I don't come from a family of artists. You know, my dad's an economist, and you know, it, it there's there. I come from an, an academic background, so so I definitely there was a lot of reluctance, and also, but with the cultural elements in the play, and me being the firstborn son, and um, not being a wealthy family, like we could, I could afford a, a you know, didn't come from a kind of a privileged family where I, oh yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I could try it acting for a couple of years and, you know, you know, daddy knows someone at the studio, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, it, it, so I didn't have any connections, didn't have any ends. Um, and so it was a very, um, I look back, it was just a, it was a very tough time. And, 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 and now I look back, you know, many years later, you know, it, it it's, uh, it, it was, I don't think there was a right or wrong. And I think it just happened because it happened. I mean, it, it's, it's weird how life turns out because 
if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't have my show, Dr. Ken, right now. So I wouldn't say of I course. regret it even because, you know, it's like now I have a whole resource of, uh, of events to draw upon as source material for my own art, you know, and basically just living my life became my art kind of. So mm-hmm. you, your research uh, for the role has done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I never, and all this is accidental. I never thought, you know, I, I like when it, I, I, I think I'm just living proof of just, if you, I don't know if, if there's a way to maintain a little bit of direction and then also go with the flow at the same time, good things can happen, you know, if you mm-hmm. don't really, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I mean, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of surrender to this profession of acting. I really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and it's important to be comfortable with that, you know? And yeah, really letting go is hard. Not, uh, yeah. I freely admit right now it's always nerve wracking, you know? Um, but I, having been on the other side in medicine where working seven years in an HMO with very little growth, you know, where it plateaued after a certain while as an attending physician, it was like, okay, now what? You know, there was a bit of like, oh, this is it, you know? So I don't have that, I don't have that feeling, you know, of frustration that I had, I think, having a day job, you know? Right, right. I don't think, I don't think I've ever said that in an interview, but that's very true. It's like, Yes, I have more highs and lows, but I wouldn't trade it for the world, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, I I totally, totally hear you. Can you actually take us back to um, the official jump? Like, where would you pinpoint in time where you were in terms of your medical career and acting opportunities? Oh, yeah. Knocked up. Um, The Judd Apatow movie. Uh, The first movie that I booked, and... I, when I booked that movie, I still had my day job, and during a vacation week, I shot that movie and over the course of a few days. And then um, I think when after, after that happened, you know, I think my wife and I both decided, was like, well, it's time to, time to go pro, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I will say personally, that's one of my favorites. Like I'll, I'll have it, it'll be on, you know, cable or whatever. And my husband will come in and he'll be like, you're watching that again. I'm like, it's so good. You can just watch it over and over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really, I mean, for me too. I mean, even if I wasn't a part of that movie, I think that that's what made that so special was I'm, you know, if I didn't know Judd, I mean, or was in any of his movies, you know, I'm a huge Judd Apatow fan and um, his style of comedy really resonated with me. And, um, and it, I don't know, it, it, it was magical, um, at that time because basically, uh, that, that role was, I just lucked out and got that role. I mean, I, I still to this day, you know, it, that was winning the lottery, you know, getting that Mm -hmm. role. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and it was, uh it basically opened the doors for everybody else in in Hollywood and in comedy saying, oh, I mean, Judd Apatow is, he's got Judd Apatow's, like, stamp of approval. It's okay to work with this guy. And then right, that led right, to the yeah, the calling card. You know, yeah, the, 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 basically Judd Apatow provided me a calling card saying it's okay to work with this guy. And that led, that directly led to role models, 
one of my favorite movies I was involved with, then The Hangover, and then Community, and then Dr. Ken. So it really started that um, really got the ball rolling. And, um, and, and it's funny, like, I'm so busy now writing, producing, and starring in my own show, it's a 24-7 job, and I forget what I did yesterday. You know, it's just so, it's so uh, consuming. But I remember every single minute of being knocked up, you know, <laughs> you know, behind yeah. the scenes. I remember every day. I remember it's just one of those, it's those first, ex- those first watershed moments of your career is magical. I remember every day on the hangover that first time I did it. It was just mm-hmm. it, certain important memory, you know, certain important moments. I remember every day on community that first day, you know, that first week I was on community. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing. Um, what memories stick and what memories don't and um, knocked up was by far the most resonant one. And um, right. it, 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 it really is. Um, I don't know. I, I, but that was now 10 years ago and I still can't believe I was a part of that movie still. I mean, yeah. it, I still can't believe, you know, and, 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 um, and it was that moment that, that led me to decide to pursue acting full time. Keep in mind, the movie had not come out. I, I, it wasn't like the movie came out, I got famous, and then I decided to quit my job. It, that probably would have been a more, I don't know, more pragmatic route. But I just, there is something that kind of, it. you had to be there, you know, in terms of being on the set of Knocked Up. That was just a special moment. Judd allowed me to improvise. I, you know, I was able to keep up with all the other stars in that movie, you know, um, which surprised me and Judd. And Judd basically said, you know, you are our, you are our discovery and I will keep you in mind for further projects. And he did not disappoint. He booked me in Pineapple Express, Step Brothers, and two other movies as well. So, I mean, he literally thought of me for four or five other movies right after Knocked Up. And he just took care of me during that time. Yeah, that's fantastic. For me. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I so- have a lot to Judd. Yeah. So I actually, speaking of, um, you know, you've touched on a few things that I want to um, get to next. And um, my understanding is that around the time that um, you were taking on The Hangover, um, you and your wife were in a very, very challenging place. You just mentioned to her a few minutes ago, um, you were new parents, you had twins, you were both doctors, and your wife um, had received a diagnosis um, of breast cancer. So I was curious about whether you feel like it was easier or harder to make, um, you know, your career transition in leaps, like when everything was so chaotic, meaning did it seem like, oh, well, let's just toss another major thing on, or do you feel like the limited bandwidth because of there was so much happening kind of prevented you from second-guessing too much so you could follow your instincts? I know that was probably a very crazy um, time. You know, it was a crazy time that it, it's it, a lot of it kind of, in truth, you know, I think I blocked out because you just kind of had to do it. It was, it was, it was, I think, well, first of all, Tran is eight years cancer free and she is, she's doing great and our kids Amazing. are doing great. And, um, she had responded to the first dose of chemotherapy, um, in terms of her, uh, in, in terms of her breast cancer. And so the, so the, so I basically had seen a, a decrease in her 
uh, tumor marker levels. And I think, you, you know, I think medical understand the trend of the therapy that it was working. And then it was actually Tran and my mother-in-law that encouraged me to do the hangover. And it was because I was ready not to do it. And then, and they were very much like you, you, you've been, you've been trans responding to the chemotherapy. You know, you're taking care of the twins. Our twin girls are one year old at that time. And, oh, um, man. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it was, it was heavy. And, um, I mean, there was a part of me that regretted not, not, uh, not having my day job as a doctor. I didn't have any stable form of, of income. And then, but mm-hmm. also, but there was a part of me that didn't regret it because I was able to take care of Tran and the kids and I would not have had time because of the, let's say if I kept my medical day job, ironically. So because of the demands of that job, you know, I actually, in looking back, it was a blessing in disguise. I was unemployed and I had no job, you know, mm-hmm. because I had all the time and energy to devote to my family. And that was, looking back, that was a wonderful thing. And, um, uh, that was the most important thing ever. So, you know, I mean, now looking back eight years later, you know, the timing of it was absolute, you know? So, um, it was just a, a series of events. And, and I think to your point about limited bandwidth, yeah, there was a limited bandwidth where I, I really didn't know what was, you know, I really didn't know what was, I mean, what was going on at that time with my own career because I just, to me, I only worked on the first hangover, believe it or not, for four days. It was. Oh, that's crazy. And uh, <laughs> it's crazy. So basically the, the guys were in Vegas for four or five weeks and I was only there. I went in there like, I think like once a week. And then, so I didn't hang out in Vegas with the guys. I, I went there, shot my scenes and then flew back and the studio flew me back and, and um, I remember it being a very therapeutic moment because even if the hangover wasn't the hangover, I, um, I was already friends with Bradley Cooper because we had worked on a movie the previous year together and I already knew Todd Phillips um, before. And, you know, at that time, those are the only two people that really knew about trans cancer and they were instrumental in getting me through it uh, in terms of like, it ended up becoming cathartic. You know, I think, uh-huh. I think the Mr. Chow character was just for me was just a, it was a tool for catharsis. And, and it was my idea to jump out naked of the trunk because I simply didn't care anymore. I didn't care about like what people would think. <laughs> I didn't care about, I had nothing to lose. Here's my wife, you know, struggling with stage three breast cancer and I don't care what people think I'm going to, I'll just follow my instincts. And it makes sense in that movie artistically to jump out naked in that movie, to give it a heightened sense of mystery in that first hour, because Will Ferrell did the same thing in old school. You know, he he mm-hmm. street naked. It was inspired by that. And it was no more, you know, I didn't, it, to me that was, cause in the script, it was like, he jumps out naked. He jumps out with some slacks. And I was like, well, well, I was like, well, why not just jump out naked out of the trunk, just fully naked and heighten the mystery and, and it was just like, and I ran that idea by Tran and both of us have, both of us love comedy and that was the right thing to do. And movie history was made, but, but even if the movie wasn't 
famous or, you know, even if none of us are famous, it just got me through, it just got me, it, it just got me through a, a lot. And then I remember if you look on the Blu-ray DVD of The Hangover, in that desert, and I'm literally, I, I, I didn't, I mean, I literally was another guy. I think I, I remember just being mad that Tran had cancer and I just channeled that into the, whatever I was saying. And it was yeah. angry and funny at the same time. And I just remember, I remember doing like this 10 minute improv rant. They used some of it in the movie, but they just gave me a free take. And then, and I remember everybody like applauded. And then, and then I looked at Todd and I was like, like, thanks man. That was just, I, I just needed that. That was therapeutic. So yeah, that's it, wonderful. I, that's so wonderful. when I look at the hangover, I look at it like it got me through the worst time, you know, of our lives. And, uh, and then for it to become what it was became, you know, for that to actually like give me a career at this high level, you know, that led to me having my own show. And it's just, uh, I don't know. I, it's a beautiful thing. And, uh, so my, I think my the way you know I interpret the hangover is is very very is a lot deeper than a lot of other people. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just uh, I look at it as it was a gift that kept on giving. You know, yeah. it really was, and, and just so grateful for that. Just so grateful for for that movie. And and again, it just um, I don't know. It's just uh, and now the older I get too, it's just uh, it's even that much more special. I mean, whenever I see those guys. Just ran to Bradley recently. Saw Justin Bartho recently, and is just um, and I still keep in contact with everybody. It's just my favorite movie crew I've ever been with. You know, that's that's wonderful. You know, I want to um, just switch gears for a second to you had mentioned. Um, you know, we touched briefly on you know your kids who were babies back then, and um, now what they would be eight or nine, something like that. They're elementary school yeah, kids. Yeah, nine. Yeah. Yeah, and. So I'm sort of curious about how your career jump experience has informed your parenting lens. Like, do your girls understand, I assume it's, you know, it's probably easy for them to understand the general categories of doctor and actor, but, you know, do they understand the nature of what you do, did and currently do and what a big thing that was to leap between those two things? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because Zoe does some acting and we're, I take her to um, acting class and, on the weekends and, uh, and she, someone was talking about being sick and Zoe was like, Oh, my dad's a doctor, uh, sort of, or something like that. <laughs> it was really, the way she said it made me laugh. And, uh, and so they knew that I used to be a doctor and that's how I met Tran, my wife, their mother. And then, um, and then they knew that I switched gears and, and I talk about, you know, and I'm very open about it. And I, and I always tell them like, well, I chose something that my heart helped guide me to. And mm. I said, I said, you, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I want you to, I want you to follow your heart and, and, um, you know, whatever you choose to do. I also want you to stick with it. And also if it doesn't work out or if you find, or if you, it's okay to fall out of love with it too, you know, mm-hmm. but just stick with it. Stick with it. See if you really love it. See if you have an aptitude for it. And also, it's okay. You can. There's trial and error involved too. But you know. And so, like if, for example, Alexa is um, on a local gymnastics team, and 
and she does a lot of regional meets now. And she's like a meta. She's like, we did a, we, we did like a, she, she entered this um, local gymnastics competition about a month ago and she had like four medals and it was just like, neither Tran nor I have a gymnastics background. I think Tran might uh-huh. have taken the gymnastics class like once, you know, like, but never on a gymnastics team. And that was all Alexa's initiative. And no one on either side of the family does, does gymnastics. So it was like, and I tell Alexa all the time, like, you're like me. You chose something outside of the box that you wanted to do that nobody else did. I'm the only actor in my family. And uh, so I was like, you know, so I encourage them to think for themselves out, outside of the box because what's outside of the box for some people is completely appropriate for them. And because I'm living proof of that. So I definitely have, I definitely have uh, extended that to my kids. And uh, Zoe, great. she does swimming, she does acting. Um, she guest starred on Dr. Ken. Uh, well, she'll guest star. She guest starred. She made her debut on Dr. Ken last week as uh, my TV son, Stalker. And then uh, <laughs> an idea that I had. And um, and it's great. You should see the episode. I'll, I'll have, I can forward it to you. But uh, it's just uh, I, I had written this with her in mind because her deadpan expression is is amazing. And uh, so basically, she plays Dave Stalker that turns into his girlfriend. And, th- and this week she guest stars again as his girlfriend. They're going through relationship problems. This is very funny. Oh, that's so funny. That's really, so funny. Yeah, it's really cute and funny. And um, and uh, so, but also Zoe loves to swim, and and um, she's on the swimming team at school, and she doesn't want to do acting full time. She really loves school, and she doesn't want to miss class. And like, so the two weeks she was doing Dr. Ken, she wanted. She wanted to get out as quickly as possible because she had school the next day and, mm-hmm. you know, she didn't want to do any interviews because she had to do school, you know, and I'm like, that's great. Okay. No problem. So yeah. it was like, you know, she's just, and and so we encourage that too. And it was so funny. I just, we were just talking over the weekend and, and I, she just said, oh yeah. Cause Dr. Ken just had, had, uh, her episode had aired and people had seen it. And she was like, do you want me to do more of this? I was like, I was like, sweetie, only if you want to. You don't have to do any of this if you don't want to. So, like, no pressure whatsoever. And you right, know, it's right. Whatever, you know. So, I, you know, I'm very sensitive about not applying pressure. Um, and then really, you know, and, and my wife does an amazing job of keeping them grounded academically. You know, I, I just, we just want to, you know, to me, it's about, it's just, uh, they do, they, they're, they're just they're just academically solid. And, and, and I like that because, you know, that was the way I was raised and whether they go into career academics or not, just to have a foundation and a base. I mean, that keeps you, you know, a good, a good, a solid academic foundation keeps you can help. That's right. Your your (laughs) academic intelligence can help lead to emotional intelligence. Does that make sense? It's just like, I agree. I I absolutely agree. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's not like I'm not, I'm not asking them to be a microbiologist or, you know, but I'm just, I just want them. I just want them to be exposed to a a range of situations, you know, a liberal, a liberal arts kind of view of the world. You know what I mean? So I I, I believe in that. Yeah. Yep. So I just have two, I were, I know we're running short on time. So I just have two quick questions I'd love to finish up with. And the first is in my work and conversations with people, I found that one major thing that prevents people from taking leaps is fear of disappointing people, whether it's family members or mentors. And I was wondering if you wrestle with this um, or have in the past. And if so, what did you do to get past it? 
and my wife. I mean, oh. yeah, I'm just like everybody else. I worry about I, I worry about disappointing myself, disappointing everybody around me. Of course, um, definitely, I'm no I'm no different than anybody else. But it was my wife that gave me the strength. She was like, because even when I was thinking about quitting my job, I, I was afraid to do it because I was a partner at my HMO. I was a partner. It was like being that's like being tenured as a professor, and I had a job for life. I had a six figure income job for life, and I'm gonna throw mm-hmm. that away to be a character actor in his late thirties. You know, it's just like, I know I'm talented, but there are a lot of talented people out there. So what makes me so special? And, you know, I definitely had a low self-esteem when it came to that. And it was my wife, Tran, that was like, you, if you're not going to do it now, you just worked with Judd Apatow. If you're not going to do it now, you'll never do it. Because I was Mm -hmm. going back and forth. And Tran was like, it was really my wife's support. She was like, she goes, Ken... And because we had just gotten married, and and we also like I don't want, I don't want you to, I don't want you to think I'll ever hold you back, and I don't want you resenting me. We just got married. I don't want you resenting me for the rest of our marriage. If you, if you know, if you don't take this leap, if I discourage you, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's great. So, it's partner support is everything. Completely. Oh gosh, it was like trans support absolves me from any guilt whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And she just says, you know, and if it doesn't work, you can always go back to medicine. And even if you don't go back to medicine, we'll, we'll, we'll work it out. You know, we'll work it out. That's great. That's so great. It was, it so was can- all my wife. I mean, she was a missing, she was a missing link. It really was. And then my dad, awesome. and then to my, to my dad's point, my dad was like, he goes, I've always said, you need support of your family when you make a water, when you make a very important decision like this. And Tran is now your family. And if you have mm-hmm. her support, you have my support. So Tran had a ripple effect upon my family because that's, they trusted That's so evolved. That's Tran. awesome. <laughs> that's the so evolved Korean thinking. And that's my it, dad. It totally talking. is. Yeah. <laughs> and ever since then, my dad's faith in me and Tran paid off. And now I go back home. To my parents' home, it's a shrine of like hangover community. Dr. Ken stuff. It's crazy. Knocked up stuff. That's amazing. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Quick, Very quick long. final question. Quick final question. At sure. the end of each show, my co-host Sasha and I share what we call your next edit. So we like to give our listeners a really actionable tip that they can take away and implement in their lives to just kind of you know make their lives better. So. I would love to hear what your next edit is as it relates to, you know, making change in your life, making a leap, something like that. Do you have something that's top of mind? I think right now, I think at the point in my life is to go with the flow. I mean, right now and, and, and also, and going, but going to your, going with the flow doesn't mean to be passive. Um, it just means, I think, to actively go with the flow. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's, an evolved concept, but, but that's what, um, that's what that means to me. Um, that's, yeah, that's hard to do, yeah. but it's, it's, it's good. The more we can work on that, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Ken, thank you. Thank I, you so much for your, yeah. for your time. It was such a pleasure to oh, chat with you and, and, you know, thank make you. the Korean digital connection. This is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yes. Yes. Thank you for having me. So, and, really uh, you know, it. It a great interview. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, um, I'll, and also I'll be linking up um, all your your resources and links that we've talked about, the different shows, so people will know where to find you. Um, take care, Ken. Yeah. Good to talk to you.
Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Okay, Christine, that was a great interview. You are It's so obvious that the two of you had stuff in common, and that just really, I think that made this really, that made this a special interview. We had the Korean Um, connection. (laughs) (laughs) well which is actually you know we laugh about that but it's I think that's actually really meaningful because uh I mean for obvious reasons but so I I just actually had a couple thoughts as I was listening to this interview and you know the first is that we really when you know when we sort of think about those pivotal moments in life and pivotal choices we can really only trace the storyline when we look back upon those choices and the fact is at the time when we're making them it just feels like this crazy leap into the void. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It all sounds very neat when you're looking back on it and, you know, from a hopefully a place of success and say, oh, OK, well, this was the moment I made that choice. But at the time, you know, you're there. There is no certainly no guarantee. And it's it's just amazing, really, how different that perspective is. Yeah, absolutely. Then, you know, I had another thought, which was actually uh, inspired by Ken's next edit when he said, actively go with the flow. I thought that was interesting, you know, to actively go with the flow, because going with the flow sort of um, makes you think about just sort of giving up control and letting fate take you where it will, where, you know, where it will. But he said, actively go with the flow. And that really points to what we talk about so often here and in our book, Minimalist Parenting. And that is that, you know, we don't have control often over where life takes us. It takes us in directions. Sometimes we, well, we certainly can't control, but sometimes we don't even expect. Um, 
But when we're really honest about what's important to us so we can stay connected to that and not just, you know, sort of take on the baggage, you know, of our history or expectations or even what the culture is telling us to do, we can course correct. You know, we can Mm -hmm. make choices about how we navigate. And sometimes that means taking a really big leap. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think the, the big lesson in life maybe is I just think letting go of control. It's, it's one of the most important things and it's also one of the hardest things. And it was so interesting to me right at the beginning of the interview, he mentioned the concept of surrendering, which you brought up that very same term. I think it was back in our um, kind of advice for new parents episode. Right. And man, that it's, it's so true and it is just so hard. Um, and I also have so to say, hard. yeah, I, I love and appreciate so much how he attributes so much of his everything to his wife. That is so boss. I love it. Oh man. <laughs> I know it really was lovely. Wasn't it? Yeah. I, I, I can just, I can only imagine when I think about her illness, when I think about this incredible a professional leap that he made away from an extremely successful and secure career to something just out there. Um, what journey they've been on together as a family, not to mention the fact that they had, you know, babies at the time. It's, it's an amazing story. And I've, I've since listened to some other um, interviews that he's done and always his wife comes up every time, you know, she's the inspiration and she's so anyway, it's just pretty wonderful. And I also really loved, actually really made me laugh how he was saying that her support has influenced his parents. I know, I know, right? That just was so sweet. I was, I'm imagining his, his parents with the Judd Apatow shrine at their house, you know, like (laughs) what the heck does that thing look like? (laughs) I just don't expect that's a real standard feature in most Korean homes. You know Mm, what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. Not so much. (laughs) Not so much. I would say my parents' home uh, was a little more traditional, you know, um, giant Korean furniture, screens, pottery, (laughs) and no joke, enormous symbolic stones. I'm not sure what the symbolism was, but there was some symbolism that my parents literally hauled back from Korea. I I would just (laughs) say the airline was not happy with them. (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine. Oh, boy. I'd like to check these, please. They, yeah, they weigh I, well, 175 pounds each. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. My dad would always say, oh, they told us we were overweight and oversized. <laughs> exactly how he sounded. <laughs> oh, boy. See what I'm saying? I know. Uh, it's crazy. All right, folks. Well, we really hope you've enjoyed today's interview. Uh, you'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to all of Ken's shows and other goodness resources we've mentioned at edityourlifeshow.com. And as ever, if you'd like to get in touch with us with questions, show ideas, or for episode sponsorship, drop us a line at edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.